Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Part three of our NFC East opponent preview is brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. Summer is the best time of year. We're talking vacation, the beach, lots of sun, and of course, sports. So whether you like MLB, MMA, golf, or anything else, my bookie is the place to bet. Their mobile site is easy to use and allows you to make bets from anywhere. No hassle, no waiting line, no getting off the couch. Maybe you want to drop a futures bet on next year's NBA champion or back your favorite player for Heisman Trophy. Maybe you want to get in on the action with the Women's World Cup. The USA girls are dominating. Looks like they're on their way to another championship. Maybe throw some money down uh, on, on that. My bookie wants you to have as much fun as possible this summer. And what's more fun than winning money while betting on sports? Just visit mybookie.ag today to get started. Use promo code BEARS100 to get a 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code BEARS100. At mybookie, you play, you win, you get paid. This episode is also brought to you by SeatGeek. Let SeatGeek take the confusion out of your ticket buying experience. Instead of shopping dozens of sites to find the best deal for those Rolling Stones tickets or WWE event, let SeatGeek do the work for you. Their app scans the web for all the best deals to your favorite game, concert, or show and rates them on a scale of 0 to 10 to let you know if you're getting the best bang for your buck. Use promo code ACAA as an Armchair All-Americans at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase. That's ACAA for $20 off your first purchase. So what are you waiting for? At SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. My guest today, Brandon Lee Gowton, an old friend, actually. We've had him on several times before from SB Nation's Bleeding Green Nation to talk to us about the Philadelphia Eagles. So, yes, we talk about the doink, we talk about the game, and we talk about the future uh, of this very interesting franchise in the NFC East. No more Nick Foles. Um, you know, it is the... Um, do, do will they be able to perform magic without Nick Foles, or did the magic leave with the magician? Now that he's off in us uh, in Jacksonville, uh, taking the reins, and and the fate of the franchise is all in Carson Wentz's hands. As a fan, is Brandon nervous about the, his inability to finish a season the last couple of uh, last couple of years, and Nick Foles having to come in and do the dirty work uh, for him? What's the safety net like now that Nick Foles is out of town and it's all on Carson Wentz? Also, we talked about this about two weeks ago because Brandon is on vacation right now when I wanted to release the episode. And thankfully, the Carson Wentz contract thing happened just before he left town, so we were able to talk about that. So without further ado, let's get started and talk about the Philadelphia Eagles with part three of our NFC East opponent preview. Part three of our NFC East preview, talking about the Philadelphia Eagles, and this is number nine of 14. We are 
we are we are just rolling along. We're already headed downhill. We peaked at number seven uh, with the Giants. Now we're headed downhill. Started last time with the Redskins. Number nine with the Philadelphia Eagles. Only five episodes left. We got the Cowboys and the four teams of the NFC North. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. Back, part three of our NFC East opponent preview of the Bears Talk Underground. Brandon Lee Gowton from SB Nation's Bleeding Green Nation to be joining us here in just a few moments to talk about the Eagles. And we do talk about the double doink and the moment and the game and everything in between and, and uh, the quarterback situation and the, the addition of Jordan Howard. Plus, uh, maybe that gets canceled out by Miles Sanders being picked up and uh, everything in between. He's very excited uh, about the Eagles and uh, everyone in the NFC East should be nervous uh, about the Eagles. Is a very, very talented uh, football team uh, but first one quick thing I did want to talk about or two two small little notes um, number one the Bears announced training camp dates uh, this week along with the rest of the NFL uh, actually our beloved report to camp at the end of July rookies report on July 22nd with the veterans following behind on July the 25th you can see the dates and times of the practices uh, on chicagobears.com or anywhere else you can find uh, to dig them up. They're all morning practices. Remember, uh, during the Lovey era, he used to sprinkle in a, a 3 o'clock or a 7 o'clock practice or anything like that. Coach Nagy is all about the business. He wants to get them in and get them out. Every practice that is open to the public starts at 8.15 uh, in the morning. I think even the Saturday practice, which I wouldn't be caught dead at because it's on a Saturday, so everyone who couldn't go during the week is going to go on that Saturday. So to hell with that. I don't think I'm going to make it to training camp uh, this year. Plus, it's August, and they do training camp outside, and I don't do summer weather. I I hate the summer. I really do. I never have liked it. It doesn't help that I'm a very large man, and heat is not good uh, with me. But, uh, yeah, I've never been a fan. So standing out in direct sunlight for several hours to watch football practice, not on the top of my to-do list. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pass because uh, July and August weather in the Midwest, it's uh, it might only be 82 degrees outside, but with 6,000% humidity, it's about 96 or 9,700 uh, degrees out. So, no thanks. Maybe next year when we can get some uh, some cooler temps or – uh, I lose 300 pounds. Maybe that maybe that will help. So we'll have to wait and see. But uh, nonetheless, training camp dates are out there. I'm sure Family Fest is uh, is on the list somewhere. I forgot to look it up. But first uh, preseason game Thursday, August the 8th, hosting the Carolina Panthers at Soldier Field. And then uh, the one news tidbit that I have for you, uh, CBS Sports uh, released their top 100 players uh, in the NFL. Aaron Donald making the top of the list at uh, number one but four of our beloved Chicago Bears made the list this year all of them on the defensive side I don't think anyone will be surprised to hear that uh, Kyle Fuller the lowest ranked bear at 69 Eddie Jackson just a few spots ahead at 67 Akeem Hicks at number 48 and Khalil Mack going all the way up to number five actually just behind uh, another pass rusher Von Miller uh, at number four so uh very high esteem for Khalil Mack and what he did in his short time in Chicago thus far, and some respect to Kyle Fuller, especially to Eddie Jackson, a second-year player, uh, being able to crack the top 100 list. I'm very interested to see how we do this year 
with the NFL's 100 where the players nominate uh, the uh, nominate each other. It's a peer review, basically, uh, is what it is. So when they start doing the top 100 uh, players of 2019, uh, I don't think I'll watch the show because not really a fan, but I'll definitely keep uh, keep an eye on how the ra- ra- rankings uh, fall to see where we uh, to see where we land, how high Khalil Mack will be, and uh, see if we can get some more love for Akeem Hicks. Forty eight is is very low for him, uh, in my opinion. And Eddie Jackson, you know, I, I'd love to see what kind of love he is going to get because his name is everywhere. And um, yeah, we'll see if Kyle. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Fuller, maybe if we can get a uh, Roquan Smith in there somewhere. Uh, and, and all the rest of that stuff should be good. But uh, that's where we fell on the CBS Sports Top 100 list uh, with Khalil Mack topping our beloved at number five. So that's all I got. And uh, so we're going to go ahead and bring in uh, Brandon, Brandon Lee Gowton from Bleeding Green Nation on SB Nation to help us preview the 2019 uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Second to last show for the NFC East. Up next, our very own armchair all-american uh show he's new to the network name is joe rodriguez for cowboys huddle he'll be joining us uh later on this week to help us preview the cowboys and wrap up the nfc east and then we're all our all of our old friends evan western jeremy reisman chris gates and lauren cox to do the nfc north and wrap up these opponent preview episodes and then we move on and i've got some treats planned for that time between the opponent previews finishing up and when uh, the preseason uh, kicks off. I got one interview locked up for sure. I'm going to see if I can pin down uh, one or two more. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy uh, the guests. So, uh, yeah, looking forward uh, to that and and doing what I can to fill the time between the last of our opponent preview shows and when we finally kick things off with Carolina in our first review episode of the season so uh yeah looking forward to that looking forward to talking to joe welcoming him uh to the network and talking about the cowboys uh there's a lot of pressure on the cowboys this year especially since there hasn't been a repeat champion in the division since 2004 brandon and i talk about that i think right at the top of the episode uh the interview i should say that uh you know the likelihood that uh, statistically the likelihood of the cowboys repeating isn't good because of the trend that has been in the NFC East. Always a new champion. Nobody repeats since the Eagles did it back in like 03, 04. So uh, talk to him about that and how he likes the, the the Cowboys going into it this year. But before we get to that, we got the Eagles here. Talk about them. Talk about the Doink and Foles and Wentz and Jeremy, uh, Jeremy, Jordan Howard 
Alshon Jeffrey, so on and so forth. Let's go ahead and get to it and bring in Brandon Lee Gowden to help us preview the 2019 Philadelphia Eagles. Moving right along in our NFC West, NFC West, NFC East preview. Boy, we've gotten off to a strong start here. Part number three of our NFC West preview, and we're in the top half of the division now, the guys that actually made the playoffs last year. And unfortunately, this is the team that ousted us from the playoffs last year. I know this isn't a show that, or maybe it is. Maybe you guys have been looking forward to this and seeing what what we got to deal with with the Eagles and, and whatnot. And some of you have probably just not downloaded this episode off principle uh, alone, but here to help us talk about the, the the tail end of 2018 and what to look forward to in 2019 with these uh, Philadelphia Eagles uh, from Bleeding Green Nation, Brandon Lee Gowden. Brandon, how are we doing, man? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here, uh, even if people might not want to listen to me <laughs> and hear this side of uh, the, the you know the opponent preview that you're doing here. But uh, always glad to be here with you. You know, as a football fan in general, the Eagles were one of the more interesting stories in the league last year. You know, you're the defending world champion. Uh, you, you, you know, you come back and, and uh, you, you start the year. There's this whole question about Carson Wentz. Will he or won't he start the season? And then it's but even if you don't, you got Nick Foles, who won you a Super Bowl uh, against the Patriots and uh, and everything like that. Going into the year, was that any kind of a distraction for the team, do you feel like it hurt them in the early going before Wentz was finally able to come back, like, what, week three, week four? Yeah, ultimately he came back week three. I think, you know, there was a number of things that kind of just um, hurt the team early in the year last year. I think just the whole – the concept that, like, it didn't feel like 2017 was a separate season for the Eagles. Like, mm. I remember, you know, being in Minnesota, watching the Eagles win the Super Bowl, and then being there – on the opening NFL kickoff game against the Falcons. And to me, it felt like the time in between there just like it flew by. Like it felt mm-hmm. like it was no time at all. Um, like I wasn't even ready for the season to start. It, it went really, really fast. And I imagine it felt the same way for the team. Um, they had a number of guys coming off an of injury. It wasn't just Carson Wentz. Uh, it was guys who, like Alshon Jeffrey, didn't play till week four. Mm-hmm. Brandon Graham missed most of the training camp. He was ready for week one, but like he, he clearly was not in peak form yet. He was still kind of working through that injury. So a number of key players were hurt. They were coming off of injuries. Um, you have the whole Super Bowl hangover talk. Right. Um, even, you know, I don't know how much of that is real cause it's hard to quantify exactly, but right. you have to figure, you know, there's some kind of complacency or, or some kind of, even if it's not that just some kind of like, uh, you know, letdown in the sense that you were, you were at this high and now you're going back next year and it doesn't even feel like that much time has passed and you're, you're trying to gear up for another Super Bowl run already. I mean, we see the Patriots, I feel like year after year, they have some slow starts, um, where it makes sense because they go deep into the 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 off uh, the the postseason the year prior. So I just think there are kind of a number of factors working against their favor early in the season. Injuries, a hangover, if you want to call it that. So there there are kind of a number of things early in the season that were bothering them. Yeah, not to mention that they didn't come out looking like the team that had dominated so thoroughly uh, in 2017. Got off to like a 10 and one start and stomped a mud hole in the Bears, that's for sure, uh, in, in late in the season, like week 11, uh, week 12, showed where the big divide was between those uh, those two teams uh, and, and everything. And, 
you kind of struggle your way. You're kind of hovering around 500, so everyone's kind of thinking that maybe the Eagles just don't have it. And then, you know, midseason, it seems like, against the uh, against the Saints, that game was a just – there's no other word to describe it but other than disaster. I mean, it was 49 to something. It was like, it was like an arcade game for Drew Brees uh, and the Saints, and everyone at that point is like, all right, that's it. Weren't you like four and six or something at that point? You guys are done. The Eagles are done. Let's go ahead and write them off. This is Dallas's division to lose at this point. What was it like at that point when you guys lost that game? Did you buy into that at all? Did you see any? Did you see anything that led you to believe that the run that they went on was coming? Yeah, I mean, so they get to that game, they lose forty-eight to seven. <laughs> yeah, I think I think most people or at least I would hope most people would have expected them to lose. I mean, even if it was going to be a close game, it's just a tough opponent, the Saints in their home. Um, it was always going to be a tough game. So it wasn't that they lost, but, I mean, you know, you lose 48-7. to seven, Right, exactly. And Carson Wentz has his worst game of his career, basically, and he threw, like, a ton of picks in that game. I think it was 70, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, it, it was just like everything was a disaster in that game. Um, so it was really interesting. I think in looking back especially, the game was – a real turning point of the season in the, in the fact that like things could have really went south from there. Like they could have continued to go bad and that team could have like really just lost their way and kind of just like given up. Uh, And I'll take it even one week further into week 12. I think it was there against the giants. So not only did the Eagles get blown out in new Orleans, 48 to seven, but then, you know, the giants who weren't very good and obviously, you know, didn't, they didn't finish with a good record. And at that time they weren't good as well. Um, they're up. I think it was nineteen to three on yeah. the on the Eagles in Philly. I remember so, that. So like, like that's you know the worst response you could have uh, to that blowout game, uh, and that was about before halftime. But all of a sudden, you know, Malcolm Jenkins picks off Eli Manning, and from there the Eagles rally a comeback, and that was kind of where the season started to turn around. And I think that kind of said a lot about the character of the team. Also, I think it said a lot about Doug Peterson and how his players play for him because they could have folded. They easily could have given up and been like, this just isn't our year. It really felt like that for a long time, whereas 2017 just felt like the Eagles' year at so many points. Uh, 2018 just did not feel like it. They just they weren't getting the same breaks. It just didn't feel like they were ready to repeat. And all of a sudden, you know, they, they start to turn around, and you're like, all right, this team still has some fight in them. They still have some life. So uh, that was kind of a big, like, the pendulum swing of the season right there, coming off that Saints loss and then going into that Giants game and staging that comeback. Right, and then fast forward a few weeks later, you go into L.A. against the Rams, and, and you beat the Rams. You know, I think that was kind of like the, the coming out party of the 2018 Eagles where everyone had kind of written them off and like, oh, no, now all of a sudden this team has a legitimate shot to make playoffs if they stay the course. They just beat what many people regarded to be uh, one of the best, if not the best team in the conference, and you beat them on their own home turf in a game where they were coming off just losing to us. So they had a lot to answer for in that game, and their response to it was to lose to a team that had pretty much been written off by everyone who had an opinion on the matter. Yeah, the Eagles were coming off a crushing overtime loss to the Cowboys. Uh, right, loss, right. Where literally the first play of the game, uh, uh, the Eagles kick off, the Cowboys fumble, and there's a, a clear pile of Eagles players, like three or four Eagles players only, no Cowboys player in the vicinity of the ball. 
and they called it the Cowboys ball on review. Like they said, they said they couldn't determine that the Eagles clearly recovered the ball. So like it was an extremely frustrating game. Um, obviously, bad officiating happens, but I don't know how you get it wrong when you're looking at replay and you're right. seeing like five guys are on the ball. Um, so it was just, like really frustrating. Uh, they lose in overtime in like just kind of a BS fashion. Like ultimately, the Cowboys won the coin toss, so they had that working for them. And then Rizul Douglas actually tips. Dak Prescott's yeah. uh, game-winning touchdown ultimately like, that should have been an incompletion or even an interception and instead it just bounces right to Amari Cooper and the game is over it's just like that kind of summed up how that game felt like it was just yeah. like man um, Carson Wentz was not good in that first half of that game but mm-hmm. he ultimately did rally like he got that team back in position to potentially win that game so and, and if the Eagles did win that game they would have been in like decent position to still win the East and really given the way the rest of their season went they would have won the East uh, if right. they had won that game so they weren't that far off from winning the division uh, it kind of came down to it really close but they did lose and going into LA that was another big week into the season because at this point it was discovered that Carson Wentz had a back fracture. And right. <laughs> he wasn't officially declared out for the season, but he was declared out for the foreseeable future, and there was thought that he wouldn't play again. Um, so you have Nick Foles coming back in. And even despite that and knowing what Nick Foles did in 2017, I would say like widespread, there wasn't a lot of confidence you know, that he was going to pull it off again just because you know this Eagles team was banged up. They had gone through their fair share of issues, and it just didn't seem like Nick Foles was going to come in and uh, save everything. Uh, and then just playing in, in L.A. against the Rams, too. And like you said, they had that loss to the Bears. So everyone's like, oh, man, you know, the Rams are going to be motivated to you know get this one back at home, yeah. especially because the Eagles had just beaten the Rams in L.A. the year prior. So you knew they, they wanted revenge. And uh, ultimately... The Eagles kind of just did that thing again, like I talked about in the Giants game after playing the Saints, where they had this adversity, and instead of letting it crush them, they really rallied. Nick Foles played well. The defense stepped up. That's kind of the funny thing here. Like, everyone wants to point to Foles coming in, and he saves the team. I mean, he definitely gave the team a spark. I'm not trying to deny that. But, like, the defense really stepped up, too. It's almost like Carson Wentz went down and everyone else on the whole team as a whole, and even the special teams unit, had, like, their best game of the season that game. It's like everyone was like, hey, we need to step it up because Carson isn't here, and we know we need to play our A game now that, that Carson Wentz isn't here. So, sure enough, uh, they bring it that game. They're back. And all of a sudden, people have hope again that they can actually go on a run because they look at the final stretch of those games down there, and they're manageable. And it's like, all right. Um, the Eagles, you know, it's going to be tough to win the division at that point because the Cowboys had beaten the Eagles twice, but there was still that wild card possibility. And so it was, thanks to us beating the unholy <laughs> hell out of Minnesota Week 17 and making it easy for you that you had to beat a shorthanded uh, Redskins team that really went downhill after they lost their quarterbacks. I mean, first Alex Smith goes down and then uh, Colt McCoy behind it and you know, basically anybody they were pulling off the street to be their quarterback was what the Eagles had to overcome uh, to win that game uh, in order to make the uh, playoffs. And it earned you a trip to Chicago, which I didn't mind. We were 7-1 and one at home last year, so I was feeling pretty confident our one loss in Soldier Field was to the Patriots. So I felt pretty good about our chances. I would have preferred to play the Vikings again. I think every Bear fan on the planet would have. I don't think... Anyone was quite worried about the Eagles, per se. I just knew that everyone liked our chances better against Minnesota because it was the two hottest teams in football meeting in Chicago in that wild card round. 
And what the what the end result was, even though it was a negative one for my team, was one of the better games we've probably seen in a while. I mean, a defensive struggle nonetheless, but a really good football game. Yeah, that really was um, a game where it kind of, I guess, went as expected in a way. You know, sure. We didn't expect some kind of you know shootout by any means. Uh, at that point, we knew the Bears' defense was really good. You know, best defense in the league, kind of good. And we know the Eagles' defense was coming on. Um, you know, they weren't certainly a juggernaut, but they had been playing well in recent weeks. Uh, so it was an interesting matchup. And also just from a quarterback perspective, I think, um, you know, Mitchell Trubisky obviously had a better, much better year in year two than year one. Right. But, you know, it's just like it's not like I think he totally outclassed Nick Foles in the, in, the con- in the context of like what Nick Foles obviously was able to do the year before and then getting hot into the playoffs. Like there, it was kind of a somewhat of a level playing field there. It wasn't just like, oh. You know, Trubisky definitely better than Nick Foles. That that was kind of the whole element of the Eagles and why I like felt like they could win anything because I already saw Nick Foles do it the year prior. And I'm not sure. even like the I was never been the biggest Nick, Nick Foles like truther or fan. Um, but like it came to a point last year, I was like, how can I doubt this guy? Because every time you do, like he just wins. <laughs> and even if he doesn't have a good game, and like he didn't even have a great game against the Bears, yeah. like he. You know, he threw two picks game, in that game. He, he threw two picks. Yeah, uh, did not play well for most of the game. But like I, I remember that you know getting into the position there where it was that final drive, and I was texting people. I'm like, I'm I'm not worried about this at all. Like people I saw on Twitter or you know text threads. Uh, or on bleedinggreennation.com, and the comments were like freaking out and they were nervous. And like, I'm not nervous. Like, I know Nick Foles is going to go get the game winning touchdown. I've seen this before. Like, I've seen the script before. I've seen it happen. And sure enough, uh, I guess what? I'm like fourth down, fourth and goal. Uh, they're they're in the right near the end zone there, and it's crazy because on that play, uh, Golden Tate, who the Eagles traded for in season, didn't right. actually know what he was supposed to do on that play. Like, he didn't know what route he was supposed to run. Uh, he 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 had the wrong idea originally, but he looked back and he saw the way Nick Foles was rolling out. So he altered his route while he saw that happen. And sure enough, Nick Foles hits him and uh, ultimately scores the game-winning touchdown. And yeah, I wasn't even surprised. Like I was not surprised that happened, um, just because again I had seen Nick Foles do it before. Yeah, I mean, what a what a tense moment that was, and. You know, the, the, the funny thing was, is like neither quarterback could really say they had an outstanding game. Uh, statistically, Trubisky, I think, was the better. He threw for over 300 yards. But, but what I like to focus on was that in the clutch moments, both of our quarterbacks stepped up. You know, Nick Foles, who had struggled at times throughout the game, made, put that drive together, got the Eagles into the end zone, put them in a position to, to win the game. And then Trubisky comes back and puts the Bears in a position for the most heartbreaking moment I've had in a long time, <laughs> but he got us there. We had less yeah. than a minute, no timeouts. He made the throws, made the moves, you know, got that pass to Robinson that set us up uh, for the field goal, and then we put it all in Parky's hands, which was the last thing any Bear fan on the planet wanted to see. No one that roots for the Bears is like, you know what? I want Cody Parkey. I want the ball in Cody Parkey's hands when the game comes down to it. No one wanted that. No one. And then in a, in a sense of a poetic justice, I guess, in some way, that idiot became famous for doinking it off the uprights, gave us two doinks on the same kick to end the season uh, for us. So whether you want to give credit to the, the ball being tipped as to why it was Trayvon no Hester, good. Yep. Yeah, why it was, you know, why that ended up not being good. Or if it was just Parky being Parky and banging it off the upright again, 
he missed the kick and our season ended and the Eagles move on to the divisional round for a rematch with the Saints in a game that they started they actually started hot as opposed yeah. to like what you were saying before where they got off to those slow starts against the Giants and then again to the Rams and the Cowboys and whatnot they started off hot and then it was then they kind of got cold and they opened the door for the Saints to come back yeah so they get up 14 to 0 Nick Foles is playing well once again but ultimately he kind of turned that game around against the Eagles favor when I remember clearly um, he dropped back he had Zach Ertz uh, Zach Ertz had a step on a defender and he just underthrew him and the ball got picked off and and what would have been like a big gain that probably would have gotten the Eagles at least a field goal and could have put them up three possessions like 17 to zero in the Saints house which would have been a big deal obviously um, instead you know it was all of a sudden the Saints get an interception and then they go down and get a touchdown and it's 14 to seven so that was a really big swing in that game um, Foles kind of fizzled out after that hot start there so it's kind of opposite of the Bears game in a way. And ultimately, um, the defense, you know, they held strong as much as they could, even though there was like a billion injuries in that game. Uh, Fletcher Cox got hurt. The Eagles lost their starting right guard, Brandon Brooks. Um, Nigel Bradham went down. Like, there were so many guys at that point. And the Eagles were already one of the most injured teams uh, in the league. They actually finished uh, second to last in adjusted games lost metric by Football Outsiders. So obviously every team deals with injuries, but like comparatively, they were one of the most injured teams, and it just kind of felt like the team didn't have a ton left at that point. Sure. Um, but to their credit, they did fight. They got in a position where they could have um, gone down and, and made a drive to um, to kind of come back in that thing. And unfortunately, you know, Nick Foles, you know, it looks like he's going to recreate the magic again, and he's going to pull out you know the rab- rabbit out of his hat again. And it's just kind of unfortunate that, you know, he throws a short pass to Alshon Jeffrey, who's wide open. And Alshon Jeffrey has, you know, you would know, (laughs) you know, he has some of the best hands in the league. Like, he's really strong with the ball. Like, drops aren't super, super common for him. And unfortunately, the ball just goes through his hands and right into the arms of Marshawn Lattimore. And that's the Eagle season right there. You kind of feel like. Um, people weren't even mad at Alshon because he was obviously like a, a huge Super Bowl hero for this team the year before, which is very unlike Philadelphia or sports in general. When a player drops like you know a pass that leads up to the end of the season, you don't see that a lot. Uh, but ultimately, um, you know, it was kind of it was hard to be super mad after that loss. As, as weird as that might sound, that was like the least crushing Eagles defeat I've ever experienced because it felt like that team gave it all they could. Um, they came up short. That was disappointing, but it, it didn't feel like um, like a, a huge missed opportunity in the sense of like they were they were so hurt. Um, they had already defied a lot of the odds. You were just kind of proud that they fought as hard as they could in a situation where they were underdogs once again to a clearly good team in the Saints. And um, it was sad. I, I think the more sad part wasn't about the loss itself, but the fact that like a lot of players. Uh, from that team, like we wouldn't necessarily be seeing again, and we won't be seeing again, like Chris Long and uh, Michael Bennett and a, a number and Nick Foles, obviously a number of key contributors to the Super Bowl run who wouldn't be back the next year. So um, it was it was like there was a sense of pride after that loss and being like, man, this team could have folded earlier in the season. Like I was talking about with that Saints loss, the first Saints loss, right? And ultimately, you know, they finished on a high note um, and they didn't repeat as Super Bowl champions, but like. 
they prove that like this is a team that has pieces to work with and there's reasons to feel good about them not they weren't just like a one hit wonder i think they basically proved that is what i'm trying to say sure uh and there's reason to feel good about them moving forward i gotta say that um normally i would not have enjoyed alshon dropping that pass as much (laughs) as i would have had he not acted the way he did in chicago the week before yeah like he really he really played it up when he got a first down or if he made a big catch or something like that. You know, he was playing to the crowd and kind of, you know, essentially kind of flipping us off, if you will. And, um, you know, so it did bring me a little bit of joy to see Alshon be the GOAT in that uh, in that particular game. And by GOAT, I do not mean the greatest of all time. Um, it, it's But also at the same time, it, it kind of spoke to what a lot of Bear fans felt is was true about Alshon during his time in Chicago like think for a moment about that touchdown pass that he caught in the Super Bowl we saw Alshon do that all the time but if you throw one straight to him and he's standing flat-footed in front of you like he was that ball slipped through its fingers like it was made of oil it would go through right so I mean it basically it it gave me flashbacks it really did there were easy touchdowns or catches that he could have made in a bear uniform that would squirt right through his hands but if you ask him to go in traffic and catch a 50-50 ball where it's him against three defenders, he'll come down with it every single time. So it just kind of fed into what we as Bear fans know Alshon's uh, Jeffrey's reputation to be, which is he makes the, 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 the hard catches look routine and the routine catches look hard, and that's what he did uh, in that moment. So after he played up the way he did against the week before, it was like, that's a little karma coming back to, <laughs> to Alshon. So... You know, again, I it, you're right. the The Eagles were a great story last year. The Super Bowl hangover and, and you know struggling early on, and again having to deal with the loss of Carson Wentz and can Nick Foles do it again? It was a great story. It was a great story, and then you know coming up short against the uh, uh, the Saints. But like you said, they it's basically they ran out of gas. They had nothing left there at the end. The season ended probably when it should have um, uh, for them. So we move into into the offseason, and, and like you said, it's uh, been saying goodbye to a lot of guys. You trade away um, Michael Bennett. You send him off to the, to the Patriots. Chris Long, just a few weeks ago, uh, retires uh, from football, so he's done. Uh, the Nick Foles saga finally ends in Philadelphia. He's in Jacksonville now, who would have ha- been happy to have anyone that wasn't Blake Bortles uh, at, this, at this point. Golden Tate, the hero of the wild card game, is now a New York giant which came on the heels of the giants getting rid of odell beckham so that would seem like an odd move in my opinion but um you know jordan hicks is gone jordan matthews in san francisco and you know other other players that still haven't been brought back yet mike wallace Corey graham darren sproles jay Ajay, any any one of these guys possibly coming back or are they all heading somewhere else uh, I think the only one with the real chance would be Darren Sproles, um, okay. just because the Eagles could kind of still afford to have a pass-catching running back. And I think the coaching staff would like love to have Darren Sproles. If it was up to them, I think they would sign him today. But I don't think the front office <laughs> feels the same way. He's only played nine games in the past two years due to injury, and I think he's turning 36 this summer. Um, nice. I still think he has something left in the tank, and I think he wants to play because he's only like 100-something all-purpose yards from fifth all-time on that list. And I oh, think wow. Would, yeah, I think he would really like to get that. Um, but I don't really know for sure if the Eagles will bring him back. Uh, all the other guys you mentioned, like Ajayi, Corey Graham, uh, Mike Wallace, I, I don't think they're coming back. Right. So 
But you did, you know, re uh, restock the fridge, uh, if you will. Uh, Deshaun Jackson is back in an Eagle uniform, seeing if he can rekindle some of that uh, old fire that he had. Uh, you know, some of the theatrics that he was able to do. The first thing that comes to mind is that uh, that last second punt return against the Giants, where Tom Coughlin was screaming at the punter <laughs> afterwards about why did you kick to him? Why did you do that kind of thing? Um, of course, we had a trade and uh, bringing Jordan Howard. Mm. Uh, to town putting to end the will they or won't they keep Jordan Howard thing for us in Chicago and finally uh, sending him off to Philly. Um, Zach Brown from the Redskins is part of the team now. Ronald Darby re-signed. You got Andrew Sendejo from the Vikings and I thought he would get more money if he hit the free agent. He's got a one-year prove-it deal essentially uh, in Philadelphia. You bring Vinny Curry back, and you sign Malik Jackson uh, from Jacksonville to uh, to shore up that middle of the defensive uh, line. So, which of those, uh, w- w- you know, are you most happy about? It has to be Deshaun Jackson. <laughs> that okay. is huge. That is huge for this team. Uh, the Eagles haven't had a really legit deep threat for probably since you know they had Deshaun Jackson uh, going back a long time ago. The, in 2017, the Eagles. Best deep threat was Torrey Smith, who uh, I think he actually ranks like second all time in active players in yards per reception. So that's something Torrey Smith can do. But you know, like Torrey Smith's best days are clearly behind him. Sure. Um, it's not going to be a big feature of your offense by any means. And with all due respect, he had a great playoff run. So no disrespect to Torrey. Uh, but you know, he's just not that guy. Uh, he's not a huge difference maker. And then last year, Mike Wallace was kind of signed to be that guy. But. Uh, he only really played in like not even two full games, so he got hurt, uh, which was weird because he had never really been hurt before in his career. So just kind of bad luck for him. And now, you know, getting Deshaun Jackson, I mean, it's easily Carson Wentz's best deep threat receiver that he's ever had. And arguably, I mean, you could make the case that Carson Wentz is the best quarterback that Deshaun Jackson has had. Now, <laughs> I mean, Michael Vick and Donovan McNabb, I think, are in the conversation there. But I mean, there's an argument. And watching Deshaun Jackson. And Carson Wentz in practice this spring in OTAs and minicamp, um, those guys are already clicking. They're like already on the same page, and that connection I think could be pretty lethal this year. Uh, Deshaun is going to be 33 this year, so he's obviously past his prime, but like he's still really good, man. Uh, he led the league in yards per reception last year. Watching him in practice, like he's still getting by guys easily. Like I still think he's pretty pretty fast, and he yeah. still has that speed. Um, and the Eagles are talking about using him situationally on those punt returns too, so we'll see some of that. Uh, I think he's a huge difference maker from this for this team. It's not only about what he can do in terms of stretching the field um, and, and giving the ball to him, but it's also about you know how that impacts everyone else. So now all of a sudden you can't give extra attention if you're a defense to Zach Ertz or Dallas Goddard or Alshon Jeffrey or whoever because you also have to account for Deshaun. So. You know, in theory, Deshaun being there should open some of the underneath stuff up. And also, Deshaun Jackson isn't just a deep threat. Like, this isn't a guy who is a deep threat specialist. Like, he's also a pretty good NFL wide receiver. Like, he can run out of their routes, too. And we've seen that in spring practices. And uh, Carson Wentz and him, like I said, seem to have a good connection. So I think getting Deshaun here, uh, it changes a lot. And, like, the guys I just 
listed there. Like again, Deshaun, Oshawn Jeffrey, Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, uh, Nelson Aguilar. The Eagles drafted Miles Sanders. You have Jordan Howard. Like this, and then that's not even accounting for the offensive line, which is arguably one of the better units in the league. Like this offense has the potential to be really good, and that was a problem for this team last year. Um, for as much as the defense struggled at times, like the offense just wasn't producing at that 2017 level. Mm -hmm. And obviously Carson Wentz, you know, not being fully healthy and taking a step back was a major factor and a deterrent there. But, you know, you look at Carson Wentz now going into year four and having all these weapons around him and, you know, they obviously have to play the games, but on paper, like the makings are there for like a pretty good offense. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's quite the offense when, when you look at it like that, you know, what Jordan Howard uh, brings to the table and, and like you you alluded to a moment ago you drafted Miles Sanders uh, in the second round that was definitely a guy that a lot of Bear fans had circled on their draft boards but unfortunately because of our uh, earlier trade activity for Khalil Mack and Anthony Miller from a year ago we weren't picking until 87 this mm. year and you guys snatched him up at 53 so we would have had to pull off a miracle to be able to to keep uh, to, to get uh, Miles Sanders on our team instead of yours but um you know, when you look at the draft uh, for the Eagles, four out of your five draft choices were offensive players. You you traded up a couple of spots to get Andre Dillard from uh, was it Washington State? Yes. Uh, to make sure that the Texans didn't, because they were the team that really wanted him. Uh, you get Miles Sanders in the second round. Uh, JJ, is it Arcega Whiteside? Correct. I uh, nailed that one on the first try. How about that? Stanford, wide receiver. And then the other offensive player was uh, from my neck of the woods, Clayton Thorson, the quarterback from Northwestern, who obviously obviously kind of be a project guy. And your other, your other, your lone defensive pick, Sharif Miller, defensive end out of uh, Penn State. So only five picks uh, for the Eagles. But much like the Bears and teams like the Saints and the Rams, it was all more about replenishing, like, Maybe fixing a spot here and there. It's more about maintenance on the roster than some, than going out and finding that huge piece that the team so desperately needs. Yeah, typically the Eagles kind of approach that the draft that way too. They're not looking to draft against a bunch of guys who are going to be these like instant difference makers who play. I mean, ideally, yeah, but right. uh, realistically, they're going to be more of supplemental, complementary pieces on the roster. Uh, you look at Dallas Goddard last year, and he was able to make an instant impact, but he was only playing a certain amount of the snaps, especially because he had Zach Ertz ahead of him. Um, Avante Maddox is a player who they originally didn't really seem to have a big role lined up for, but injuries forced him into playing time, uh, and he was able to make an instant impact. So when you look at this year's class, uh, Andre Dillard is obviously here to hopefully not play at all this year because you still have Jason Peters at left tackle. Right. But Jason Peters will be 38 next January, and this is probably his last year for real this time. So you, you, you hope you can just plug in Dillard there. Um, and have him be that solution as Carson Wentz's blindside protector for the long term. Uh, Miles Sanders is the rookie with the best chance of making an instant impact just because running back was such a big need for this team, even with bringing in Jordan Howard, because, I mean, I don't need to tell you that Jordan Howard uh, averages 1.5 receptions per game in yep. his career. He's not a, a big passing, and, and it's not even like he, he can't catch, right? Like, it's not like... Um, like I mean, he can obviously handle like a dump off or whatever, right. but you're not going to make him part of the passing attack. Right. So. An honest assessment of, of Jordan Howard's catching ability is that, number one, that's really not what the Bears had him for. That was Tariq Cohen's yeah. deal as far as like if we want somebody coming out of the backfield 
Tariq Cohen's the guy that we, he was the better route runner, and he had the more sure hands out of the two. Jordan Howard kind of earned an unfair reputation as far as not having good hands, and it wasn't necessarily his fault. If you go back and you look at the few opportunities he had, and looking at 2017 more specifically, mm-hmm. it was more about him try, having to try to manage bad throws as opposed to him just dropping the ball. Right. So, I mean, like I said, he, he got in kind of an unfair reputation, and it always seemed like when, when it, and the, one of those very few opportunities came along, Jordan Howard couldn't come down with it for one reason or another. More times than not, it was an errant throw from Mitch because he was under pressure or, or something like that that would cause you know Howard not to catch the football. I'm sure he's a better receiver than he ever got to display uh, while he was in uh, Chicago, and he has been saying as much. Uh, as far as what I've been reading uh, lately, you know, as with the Eagles and, and him catching more passes in practice than he did, I guess, when he wore a bear uh, uniform. So we'll probably see him do a little bit more of that on purpose in Philadelphia than you did in Chicago. But that's not why you guys have him in Philadelphia. Yeah. So he's going to be your workhorse. He's going to be your guy that's going to get you the tough yards. And every now and then. He, he won't have the speed to, to break one for, for an 80-yard touchdown or anything. Somebody will run him down eventually, but he will every once in a while come through the other side on that, on that, uh, on that line of scrimmage and get you that big chunk that you didn't know was coming. I'll take it. And uh, I, I think he's kind of going to have like a LeGarrette Blunt 2017 role for sure, this Eagles sure. team yeah. um, just because they, they don't use like a true bell cow back. They never have under Doug Peterson, and I think they really never will. They believe in rotating their running backs. They like to use different formations and different running styles with different running backs. So I think Howard's going to have an important role on this team. I would expect him to be the starter at running back, to receive the bulk of the touches, especially early in the season. And even though he's not the best uh, you know, pass-catching option for them, sure. he's a really good pass blocker. Like, yes, he is. Absolutely he is. Yeah. You would know. So um so he's gonna get some third down work, you know, when it comes to obvious passing situations and they need someone back there to to block uh for Carson Wentz. So uh, I think he's gonna be an, an important player for this team and especially in the red zone. Like, you know, that's again another area where he can contribute and that tough running style should help the Eagles because that's an area where they weren't as great last year in the red zone. So hopefully um that'll help. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what his long-term outlook is because obviously he's a free agent after this year. Right. I would not be surprised if you know it's one and done in Philly. Uh, and you look at the compensation that the Eagles gave up. You know they only gave up a conditional sixth that can turn into a fifth. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like they gave up a ton. And mm-hmm. I don't think they're in any rush to kind of extend him. I mean maybe they revisit that next offseason depending on how things go this year, but. You know, getting back to the draft class, like they drafted Miles Sanders, I would think, to eventually supplant Jordan Howard in the long term. Uh, and obviously, the Eagles still have Corey Clement, too, who had 100 yards receiving in the Super Bowl and who the team was high on going into last year. He's kind of another uh, guy who can contribute in a third down back kind of role. Uh, so they have some options in the backfield. And really, that's big for this Eagles offense because last year, the team's leading rusher. I bet you can't guess who it was without looking because you probably don't even know this guy exists unless you're a big Notre Dame fan. Uh, it was Josh Adams, undrafted rookie. Wow. So, yeah, not great. How many yards did he end up with? Like 549 or something. Oh, like, okay. Yeah, not not good. No, no, not at all. So, so I mean, you know, after, after the draft, uh, things quiet down as they usually do. And then, uh, thankfully... Uh, because you and I are recording this episode about two weeks before it's going to be uh, released, 
the car, the Eagles went ahead and made their big splash headline before you went on your vacation. So we get to talk about this now as opposed to me having to try to jimmy it into the show uh, two weeks from now when this comes out. But they went ahead and, and signed uh, Carson Wentz and locked him up uh, for the next six years. So you got this year, year number four, your fifth year option, and then four years after that, which means he's going to be an Eagle until, what, 2024 now? Correct. So four years, $128 million, averaging $32 million a season. But, of course, with the NFL, those numbers don't matter. What matters is he's guaranteed $107 million over the life of the contract, and I believe that is number one in NFL history, is it not? Yes, most guaranteed money. Most guaranteed money. So he's, he's going to have nine figures in the bank when it's all said and done. How are we feeling about the extension? Do you think it came too soon because of the, the injuries of the last couple of years? Or is this, you know, is, are the Eagles hoping for stability? Or are they saying this is our guy no matter what for the next six seasons? I mean, to me, my theory and my take on this before it even happened, this entire offseason, has been sign him immediately to a contract extension because they were already committed to him as their guy. There was no waffling. There was right. no ambiguity. Like, for for better or worse, even if you don't agree with it, like, we can all, like, look at this and say they objectively believe in him. Even if I don't agree with it, which I, I do agree with it, but I'm saying even if I were one of the skeptics, like, it doesn't matter what I think. Like, they clearly believe in him. So if that's going to be the procedure like if that's going to be their belief they better sign him right now because you're not going to get a better deal than right now if you wait you're going to have to pay more money down the road like what if Carson Wentz goes out uh let's say he doesn't sign this contract like what if he goes out and he has an MVP caliber season like he did in 2017 so you know it's possible and you know he has better offensive weapons this year and you know he's healthier than he was last year like you can you know you can put out like a realistic projection in your mind that he could go out and have another killer season and if that's the case like why are you going to wait to pay him because you're going to have to potentially pay him like 40 million or more a year because Mahomes is going to get a contract and Dak Prescott's going to get a contract and Jared Goff could get a contract so I just I thought it made no sense to wait I think it's awesome that they got him locked up this early because to me in my opinion here like Dak Prescott and Jared Goff are going to be getting more money and I think they're not as good as quarterbacks at their very peak, at the very least, uh, as Carson Wentz is. So to me, when I look at this contract, like relatively, it's a bargain. I know it might sound crazy because it's a lot of money, but when you just look at the scope of things and how quarterback contracts continue to rise, and also you look at the salary cap continues to rise, so you look yeah. at these big figures, but down the road, I just don't think they're going to be as damaging um, as it might look right now. Like I think... Uh, I kind of compare this, it's not exactly the same, but I kind of think of it a little bit as, use a basketball uh, reference here, and, you know, Steph Curry with the Warriors, like, he, the Warriors got him on a really good contract, because he had injury issues uh, prior to them signing him, and they, so they were able to get him on, like, this super valuable contract, and now, it was a risk, and the contract wouldn't have been a bargain if he kept getting hurt, and the same thing applies to Carson Wentz. So there's risk here, but there's going to be risk, you know, in any contract, in any situation. Like right. There's never going to be no risk. So I think it's a good bet to say, hey, we believe in Carson Wentz. We know he can get hurt. We know there's risk here. But ultimately, we believe in him, and we're going to go out, and we're going to take this risk because – if it works out and Carson Wentz does play well, this contract is going to be extremely fair. And really, this isn't like a deviation from what the Eagles do. This is their like this is how they operate. 
when Zach Ertz and Lane Johnson were first eligible for contracts back in 2016, the Eagles like rushed to lock them up as soon as possible. And at the time, you could kind of be like, well, all right, you know, these guys necessarily haven't proven they're truly elite yet. Like there's potential here, uh, but you know, you still need to see more. And the Eagles are willing to make the bet on those players because if they play well. Like if like if if you can see the vision of them playing well, and guess what they have, then the contract ends up being a bargain. So you if you can beat, you know if you can beat the market, like if you can beat other teams to the punch of signing their players, you can potentially save money and have a good value at different you know positions like tight end and offensive tackle. In the case of Zach Ertz and Lane Johnson, so I think that's exactly what they're doing here with Carson Wentz. It's just kind of it's a risk. Um, there's definitely downside. I don't ignore that, but I just think ultimately, like this was the smart move. It was the it was a risk worth taking. And speaking of downside, um, who they got backing him up now that Nick Foles is out of town? It is Nate Sudfeld, uh, Indiana's own uh, <laughs> Nate Sudfeld. Um, it's definitely a downgrade from Nick Foles. I mean, that's you know that was going to be the case for pretty much anyone. Yeah, uh, just being that, I think Nick Foles. Um, is a starting caliber backup, if that makes sense. Like sure. I don't, I kind of question, you know, how just how good he's going to do in Jacksonville. Now I say that, and every time I've doubted Nick Foles, he's always outperformed my expectation. So I would <laughs> not be surprised if he does that once again. But you know, I don't think Nate Sudfeld is quite that kind of player. But I truly believe he can be a guy who, let's say, he has to start four games for you during a season. I think he can get you to two and two. Like, I don't think you're winning because of him, but I think you look at all this talent on the Eagles roster and you look at how the coaching staff has done when Carson Wentz isn't in the game and how they can still operate and have success uh, and they have a good coaching staff. I, I think there's reasonable expectation he can be okay. You know, what I've seen from him in limited practices and preseason action, there's good and bad. He's up and down. So that's, that's kind of what you want realistically from a back I mean you would love a backup who's awesome but you know in terms of like realism and what you expect to get from that position who isn't a starter you get a guy who can have some good moments he can help you win some games kind of like a Chase Daniel you know he's going to have some good um kind of like what he did for the Bears last season like you're not gonna he's not gonna be awesome by any means um but he can kind of help you get through some games and have a chance to win each week it's not like you're just putting him out there and you're just getting obliterated, and he has like no hope. I think Nate Tudfeld can kind of be in that tier where, you know, hopefully the Eagles don't see him at all, obviously. But if he comes in, I think he can do enough where they can kind of get by and keep their season afloat if if Carson Wentz doesn't have to miss too much time. Yeah, that is definitely the hope. And you, and you mentioned uh, Chase Daniels. We did need to rely on him for two games uh, last year. The uh, the um, Detroit game on Thanksgiving. On four days' notice, he came out and he did just enough to get us that win uh, over the Lions. And then the following week, he gave up two of the freakiest interceptions I've seen in a long time, but it ended up being the difference in the game between the Bears uh, and the Giants. I mean, that was just a game that the Bears were snake bit no matter what they did uh, against the Giants. They were just destined not to win uh, that game. So I didn't put it all on Chase Daniel. He he did everything he could to get the Bears in a position to send that to overtime, but it just wasn't going to be uh, our day. So in two games, he went one and one for us. So he didn't sink the ship, but he didn't you know take us to new heights either. Yeah, that sounds about right for what you're going to get out of uh, Nate Sudfeld here in 
what will be his third uh, year with the team. You know, originally the Eagles had claimed him, or not claimed him. They they got him after Washington had drafted him as a, a six-round pick in 2016. So they've kind of been, like, developing him behind the scene for this role. And for Nate Sudfeld, uh, it's a big year for him because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent after this year. And, uh, you know, God forbid Carson Wentz get hurt and Sudfeld has to come in like he could potentially you know he'll have a great opportunity to prove himself and try to get a good contract in free agency so uh, it's a big year for him right so looking ahead to to 2019 you've got your quarterback locked up and and from what I saw I was kind of looking on uh, sporttrack.com that gave up the the list of contracts and and everything the the bulk of your core is signed through like 2021 not Carson Wentz notwithstanding you know obviously he's going to be around uh, a bit longer so this is a team that's going to be together for a few more uh years and could have something to say about the fate of the nfc for the next couple of years uh as well what are some of the storylines that we can look forward to in 2019 something we might want to keep an eye on whether it be a position battle or you know the overall the health of carson wentz can he make it through a 16 game season something like that yeah i mean that <laughs> that has to be the one um, sure that is because that's the whole like that's what makes or breaks this team. It's Carson Wentz. If, is he healthy? Then yeah, this team could be a contender. There's no reason to not think the Eagles can be a Super Bowl contender if Carson Wentz is healthy. Like why not? Um, they were easily won in 2017 when he was, and he had a full off season, a full healthy off season to prepare for the upcoming season. You know, last year he didn't. Last year he didn't really even truly participate in training camp practices so um and then he didn't even play till week three so it just it wasn't you know a, a great uh season for him off season for him in terms of being able to actually prepare for the upcoming campaign last year so that's the big story and right now you know have, having been at otas and minicamp in philadelphia and watching carson wentz in practice and you know it's just practice you know it doesn't mean everything but he's looking good he's looking sharp and more importantly than anything, he's looking healthy. So, you know, that bear, I think that, you know, is a good sign. Uh, it bears well, you know, bad pun there uh, <laughs> for this podcast. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, that's, that's, that's huge. It's just huge for this team. Again, there's no Nick Foles to turn to if he gets hurt. So, you know, it's really about Carson Wentz and, and just like how good can he be? And, you know, the skeptics out there will say he was a, a one-year wonder or he can't stay healthy and, you know, they're just all or he's not clutch. You know, you could the list goes on. Uh, the skeptics are out there. The doubters are out there. The haters are out there. Uh, and this is kind of his chance to prove those people wrong. Trust me, I'm, I'm fully aware of the haters. Mitch Trubisky has plenty uh, of his own. I mean, I, I'm sure that. You know, you're on Twitter just about as much as I am, if not more. You saw all the uh, the memes of uh, everyone putting the quarterbacks in tears, uh, <laughs> you know, that have been rampant the last couple of months uh, and everything. And it always seems, no matter who it is, Trubisky's in that blah tier or the who knows what we have tier or not, nothing, nothing with a positive twinge to it at all, unless it was a Bear fan putting it <laughs> out there, you know, kind of thing. So trust me, I, I know that Trubisky... Ha- He's still got a way to go as far as making believers out of everyone. Uh, he doesn't have that problem in Chicago, as I'm sure Carson Wentz doesn't have that problem in Philadelphia. It's everywhere else that he's got haters to put to bed. 
Uh, somewhat. There's there's some, there's a contingent in Philly because of the really? whole Nick, Nick Foles faction. Yeah, oh, see, know, that's going to happen, yeah. It's a minority opinion. It's not the majority by any means. But, you know, it's out there. And uh, as far as Trubisky goes, honestly, I hate to say it, <laughs> I'm not even the biggest believer in him. Now, I will give him credit. Uh, you know, he did impress me last year in the second half of the right. playoff game, or earlier this year, I should say. And I didn't think he would be able to put the team, the Bears, in the position to, you know, kick a game-winning potential field goal. So he definitely played a little bit better than I expected. Uh, and obviously, you see some of the tools there, the mobility and whatnot. But uh, it was the first half that kind of, so it was kind of weird. So like the first half was like, this is the Mitchell Trubisky, like I kind of think of and expect from afar, like a guy I'm not scared of at all. And I think, you know, the Eagles can de- definitely beat. And then the second half was a guy who kind of proved me wrong a little bit and sure. played better than I expected. So I kind of saw both sides of that from there. Well, that was Trubisky in 2018 in a nutshell right there. There would be those and it would happen, you know, in in the same game where he would look like he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn uh, with a pass, and then the other one he could thread the eye of a needle in a windstorm, uh, kind of thing. And just he he has he had those moments, and it's about building that consistency, and that's where the believers come from. And I think he hasn't had trouble getting converts in Chicago, just because quarterback hasn't exactly been a dominant <laughs> position in Chicago for many many years. So. Even if you show flashes of brilliance, you are brilliant in Chicago. So, But that's not to try to take anything away from Mitch. I just think that he's growing. He didn't have a lot to go with before he came to Chicago. He didn't have a lot of miles on those tires, but now he's slowly getting his feet underneath him. This is his second year in a row where he's definitely the starter. He's the second year in this system and so on. A second year with the players because they were everything was new. Last year, new head coach, new offense, new offensive teammates, the whole nine yards. And now everybody's in there together for the full offseason. There was like 100% participation at OTAs. This team is ready to to, to tackle uh, 2019 for sure. So we're going to see if Mitch can make believers out of the rest of the world or if he will fall into the I told you so uh, category. So uh, it's it's up to him because he has, he has everything that, that Jay Cutler – Never had, because Jay Cutler didn't have it all at once. He had a piece here. He had a piece there. When he had his offense, we had no defense. When we had the best defense, he didn't have offensive weapons around him. Cutler never had it all at once the way that Trubisky does. He's got the best defense in football. He's got all the offensive weapons a quarterback could ask for, and he's got a head coach who's not going to be predictable or you know, you see it coming a mile away. There are no excuses for Mitch if he doesn't succeed. Now, I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, you touched on the defense. And, I mean, I'm, <laughs> now I'm interviewing you on your podcast. But this is one. This is one thing I've kind of been thinking about when I've, you know, I look at the landscape of the NFC especially uh, and kind of looking at, you know, various Super Bowl odds or power rankings and kind of just seeing how the Eagles stack up in the NFC. And one thing that I would wonder about from the outside looking in uh, besides Trubisky and I'm sure it's talked about in Chicago, but you know I think one of the bigger outsider angles would be the fact that you're losing you know a defensive coordinator you know in in Vic Fangio who's arguably one of the better in the league, and also just the fact that like Chicago obviously has a lot of defensive talent still, so I'm not trying to say they're going to be a bad defense by any means, but yeah. historically like defense has been less sticky right like than offense in terms of like usually if you have a great offense. In, in general, it's more sustainable as opposed to like defense year over year. I think generally is a little bit more like it fluctuates a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I 
guess like for me looking the outside in like how confident are you in this defense like kind of keeping up what they did last year or like just you know like what's the outlook for this defense I think what they did is I don't know if it's repeatable but I think the level is sustainable at least because the, the things that were missing last year was Roquan Smith held out for the majority of training camp so he had none of that coming in uh Khalil Mack missed the entire offseason no OTAs no training camp no preseason we signed or we traded and signed him eight days before we played the Packers on Sunday night uh football you know it was uh you know we have that whole thing together uh Chuck Pagano is coming in and he's not really changing much he's more adjusting to the system and to the players as opposed to you know putting in new you also have to remember Pagano and Fangio come from the same place so I'm sure that the 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 verbiage wasn't probably going to be that different to begin with you know they 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 ta- they learned in the same place they they came together they came up together uh kind of thing so it's uh I don't know I think the Bears are going to be fine uh, you know the only real question that I have to wonder about are the pieces that we ended up replacing in our secondary you know can uh Buster Scrine step in for Bryce Callahan can haha Clinton Dix replace Adrian Amos you know, those guys were, were, were pretty essential to what we did on defense uh, last year. But altogether, Eddie Goldman's back, Akeem Hicks is back, Roquan Smith year two, Danny Trevath, everybody's back, and there's no reason to think that it can't be done uh, again. I don't think anyone in Chicago is worried for a second uh, about, the, uh, about the defense. All right, cool. So um, what other storylines, anything else that uh, to keep an eye on in, in 2019 for the, uh, for the Eagles? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we already touched on Carson Wentz. I think if you kind of flip it around to the other side of the ball in defense, one of the bigger questions is that how good can this defensive line be? Um, let's go to the inter- uh, the exterior, the edges especially, because you, know, you had uh, for the past couple of years here a defensive line and defensive end rotation especially that was one of the best in football. I mean, in sure. 2017, the Eagles defensive line, I think literally – led the league in total pressures generated. And, I mean, you saw that. You saw the impact of that when Brandon Graham goes and he strip sacks Tom Brady and the Eagles win the Super Bowl largely in part because of that. Um, and now, you know, Chris Long is gone. He's retired. Uh, Michael Bennett is traded away. And those two guys are aging. So, you know, you, you kind of question how much do they have left in the tank. But for me, personally, I thought they still could contribute to this team. And they, as of last year, at the very least, they were. So right now, you have Brandon Graham, who's coming off a four-and-a-half sack season. And now, like I said earlier in the podcast, he was coming off injury last year. He didn't have surgery to like late May just because of the way the season went so long. Um, so that was kind of like a weird situation. I think he'll bounce back, although he is older. Uh, he's above 30. You have Vinnie Curry, who only had two-and-a-half sacks or two sacks for the Buccaneers last year. And obviously, his familiarity with the Eagles playing for them for most of his career but he's kind of another guy who he played through injury last year as well. So the Eagles are kind of bouncing or they're counting on a bounce back from him. And he's 30 plus as well. And then you have Derek Barnett, a first round pick from 2017, who is also coming off of injury. He's a younger guy. He's only 23. Uh, and there's potential there and the Eagles believe in him, but it's like another guy who you're, these are all kind of projection guys. I mean, you know, they're talented. They have like, it's not like the, they're total unknowns, but just like the, the mystery kind of surrounding their health and everything, it just makes me worry a little bit 
And then just, you know, those are the top three guys. The Eagles love to rotate their pass rushers, so they really like to go four deep there, ideally. And there's really no clear fourth guy. You know, it used to be that the Eagles would have Brandon Graham and Chris Long and Vinnie Curry and Derek Barnett, and it's like, you know, one through four, no questions about those guys. But now we don't even know who the fourth guy is. It could be Josh Sweat, uh, a 2018 fourth-round pick. Uh, there's some other guys competing for that spot. The Eagles drafted Sharif Miller this year, as you mentioned earlier. Maybe it could be him. Um, so that's kind of a concern. Now, on the flip side, they really have some good interior pass rushers. I mean, you have Fletcher Cox, who is a beast. He's dominant. You know, he's probably the best defensive tackle in the league, arguably, like behind Aaron Donald. Uh, he, he's a monster. Um, you also have Malik Jackson, who I think in this scheme, you know, with the Eagles being so pass rush friendly in Jim Schwartz's scheme and like allowing their players to attack as opposed to like two gapping and kind of just plugging up the line. Like, I think Malik Jackson could be a really nice fit here. And between him and Cox, like that's a ton of interior pressure. And that doesn't even account for Tim Jernigan, who had health issues last year. He had a, a disc, a herniated disc, and he missed most of the season. He only played like 45 snaps. He's back healthy now. And if he's your third defensive tackle, which he basically is for the Eagles, like that's a really strong one, two, three of Cox, uh, Jackson, and Tim Jernigan. So I feel good about the interior, and what they and they still have Trayvon Hester too, of course, as the Bears know. Um, so they they have some good interior, really, really good interior depth and talent there. But it's kind of the edges that, like, I'm not, you know, I'm, it's not a bottom unit by any means, but it's just I don't know if it's going to be as good. So that kind of gives me some. Uh, it get, definitely gives me something to think about in terms of like, okay, um, is this defense going to be able to keep it up? And ultimately, like the defense doesn't make or break the team for me. Again, it's the offense and Carson Wentz, but it's still a factor. Like it factors into this equation. Sure. And real quick, I was just looking at the schedule, and, and as as playoff teams do, they have their smattering of of national TV games. You got the Falcons on Sunday night football week two, Thursday night against the Packers week four. You got Dallas week seven on Sunday night football. But what really drew my attention was the last four games of the season. So the fourth quarter of the year are all NFC East games. You got the Giants on Monday night, week 14. You're at Washington week 15, home for the Cowboys, and then closing out with the Giants on the road week 17. So there's no letting up in those last four weeks because those not only are they conference games but they're division games on, on top of that you're only going to have two division games under your belt leading into those last four weeks i mean that's going to be a tough month uh for you guys because the nfc east is traditionally as far as playing each other always one of the toughest divisions in football yeah there's hasn't been a repeat winner in the nfc east since 2004 <laughs> wow yeah it was the eagles to last do it so you know, all these Cowboys fans think they're just easily going to win the East again this year. I mean, okay, I mean, history is not on your side, my friends. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, and that's just it's the kind of division it's been. There's always a team that kind of enters the 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 season as a favorite, obviously. Usually it's the winner from the year before. And they're always not necessarily quite as good the next year. And we just saw that with the Eagles in 2018. So uh, I definitely think... I think it's a two-team race, to be honest. I don't think it's anyone's division. I mean, I think the Giants are bad, like very bad, right. um, and lost and hopeless and aimless and <laughs> one of the most dysfunctional <laughs> teams in the league. I mean, Eli Manning is still their quarterback. Um, here's a stat for you. In the last 22 Eagles-Giants games, Donovan McNabb and Eli Manning have the same amount of wins with four. 
Think wow. about that. McNabb uh, hasn't played for the Eagles since 2009. Something like <laughs> so, that, yeah. So that tells like 10 years. So that tells you a lot about how like the Eagles just own the Giants. Uh, they dominate them every year. It's like they're not even a threat. Uh, and as long as Eli is there, I'm going to feel the same way. And really, with Daniel Jones, you know, I, <laughs> he's not scaring me much either. So <laughs> I feel know, pretty. Yo, as go ahead. as someone who is not a fan of the Giants and and hates them up close and personal twice a year, uh, as as an NFC East foe. How much did you enjoy the hellfire and brimstone that was the Giants fan base after it was announced that <laughs> Daniel Jones was the number six overall pick? Oh, it was great. And especially because like there were signs of that happening. Um, so I, I like was anticipating them doing that. And uh, it was great. And, it, and to me, one of the most underreported storylines of that whole thing, the Giants only drafted, or well, not only, but a big reason why the Giants drafted Daniel Jones is because it wouldn't hurt Eli's feelings. Because Eli uh, and Jones share that connection with uh, David Cutliffe, you know, the, the Duke head coach sure. who also used to coach uh, Manning, and they have that connection there. I feel like, like that's one of the biggest reasons I swear they drafted Jones is because it wouldn't hurt their their you know their star quarterback their franchise legends feelings like that's and that's crazy like that's insane like if that's one of your top selling points like that's that's very bad yeah no I've I've always kind of wondered and it, it's you know it's a it's a question for another time for another podcast but I often wonder what the legacy of Eli Manning will be because obviously the guy won two Super Bowls he was a key element in both of those victories but overall as as a career is he a hall of fame quarterback i mean, I just don't see it i, I, think, I really don't i think he's either gonna have what's it here i think if he starts this season and they're bad again like you know not even like super bad but like relatively bad like what you would expect if i'm not mistaken i think he's gonna finish his career with it's either like more losses than wins or more interceptions than touchdowns or possibly both so like yeah what does that say is that guy really like a hall of famer if yeah. he has more lost, yeah. So right now, as a starter, he is 116 and 114. So mm-hmm. like, there's a really good chance that, and this could be his last year easily, or at least one of them, um, that he could finish his career with a losing record as a starter. Yeah, I mean, and this is, a, I mean, his two Super Bowl teams were 10 and six and nine and seven. Yeah. So it's not like those teams were lighting up the NFL on their way uh, to the Super Bowl. They just caught fire at the right time. Yep. So, I mean, if you're talking about the greatest teams of, of all time, easily the teams that they beat, those two Patriot teams that they won, would rank ahead uh, of the Giants as far as teams that made the uh, Super Bowl. So uh, it's, it's an odd legacy that Eli's going to have, not to mention being in his brother's shadow uh, as well, you know, Peyton doing all that he did uh, in, in the NFL uh, during his tenure. So it's, it's weird uh, to think about what uh, Eli Manning will be and why the Giants seem so reluctant to move on from him that's the one part i can't quite grasp i mean you tell me he's 116 and 114 and especially that 114 has been getting you know that 114 side's been getting heavy and heavier <laughs> the last several years so you know it's like I, i'm wondering what the what the resistance to moving on is i mean it's i don't think that the new york giants fans would would be outraged or whatever if they decided one day that eli's not our guy anymore so but uh like i said we could get so deep into that, talk about this forever, but we're here to talk about the about the Eagles. Any final thoughts about this team? Looking forward to 2019. Where are your expectations at for the Eagles this year? 
Yeah, so again, I look at this team on paper, and the offense especially, and Carson Wentz, and I see the ceiling. And that's what makes me so optimistic. Like, And that's not something I think you can say for any team. Like, You can, you can always be hopeful your team can win the Super Bowl, but I have seen the Eagles be, actually win the Super Bowl, and I have seen Carson Wentz put them in position to do that. Like, I know Nick Foles obviously was the quarterback when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, but it is 100% true that Carson Wentz put the team in prime position to win it. I mean, all Nick Foles had to do in the regular season after Carson Wentz got hurt is beat the Giants, who stink, and the Raiders, who also stink, uh, in two games just to get the number one seed. So Carson Wentz basically left them in a, like amazing position to get the number one seed. And as we know now in the playoffs, like, the NFL playoffs, it's not like it anymore where you see a team like the, that Giants team or those teams that won the Super Bowl where like they enter as a sixth seed and they get to the Super Bowl. Like That doesn't happen anymore. Like in, in recent history, it's those number one and number two seeds that are making it to the Super Bowl. Like Home field advantage in the playoffs is a really, really big deal. And it, 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 it was a huge deal for the Eagles. So I think I know the ceiling of this team. I know also the where you know Carson Wentz's injuries are concerned, but like, how am I just supposed to say like he could get hurt and me ping them for that? Like, if he if he gets hurt, like I'll adjust expectations accordingly, and because sure. you know, maybe he doesn't get hurt. I mean, he played 16 games as a rookie, um, like, and I think you look at the injuries he's had. They're not like soft tissue injuries. It's not like he's pulling a hammy every week, and uh, it's it's stuff like that. I mean. He got hit in a weird way, and we don't even know if it was actually the hit still that caused the ACL back in 2017. Uh, it could have been when he was running to the end zone before that, and if that's the case, like that could happen. Like on his, he could be like jogging around his neighborhood in the morning, and that can happen. Like yeah. I, I just, it was a freak thing. Um, you also look at the back last year, and I can't help but feel like that had to deal, that it had to be connected in some way to the ACL and the fact that he wasn't 100. percent entering last season. So I just feel like this is kind of wiping the slate clean. He gets a full off season right now to be healthy and get ready for this season. So I'm going into the season expecting him to play most of the games. And if that's the case, I think the Eagles are going to be a really good team. They're going to be an elite in the, in the NFC as a whole. Um, you know, the saints are also going to be up there. Uh, you have other teams like the Rams and the Bears in the conversation, but I think the Eagles are going to be a really good team. I think this is like an 11-5 or a 12-4 win team this year. Yeah, looking at your schedule, I couldn't disagree with that. You got the AFC East uh, this year, so that's pretty much three automatic wins and the Patriots. And, you know, like you guys can beat the Patriots. The Patriots are beatable, but you can definitely beat Miami. You can definitely beat Buffalo. You can definitely beat the Jets. So those are like three Ws you can automatically put on the board uh, right now. And then the NFC North, that's a crapshoot. You got the Lions and uh, the Lions. That could be an easy one, depending on where the Packers are in their development with this new coach and his system. Can Aaron Rodgers be Aaron Rodgers again? And then the Vikings. You and I talked before the podcast about how Cousins likes not to show up in, you know, when he's playing good teams. So that might work in your favor if you're playing well when you when you when you meet up with Kirk Cousins. And then you have the Bears uh, week number nine. You know, it's at home. So that automatically favors uh, you guys. I mean, we were uh, three. We were four and four, three and five, three and five and three. I'm sorry. Five and three on the road. But we were seven and one at home. So obviously much better at home than we were on the road. And, uh, you know, we'll be seeing how it, uh, how it ends up uh, week nine right there, dead set in the middle of the season, week nine, to see where uh, 
see where these teams match up. So I I wouldn't I wouldn't you know if I had to put it on paper I wouldn't say eleven and five twelve and four is is out of the realm of possibility especially with the the outer schedule that you have outside of the NFC East. Sounds good to me, man. Sign me up. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Uh, where can we uh, where can we see your work on- online and, and catch up with you? You got a podcast as well, right? Yeah, you can read my work at bleedinggreennation.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. And you can listen to Bleeding Green Nation's podcast, which is BGN Radio. You can find that on uh, Apple Podcast or wherever, basically, you have, listen to your podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I can't call it iTunes anymore, right? Yeah, it's it's Apple Podcast. That's where you yes. got to go uh, to find it. So I need to change that up because whenever I post a notification on Twitter, find it on iTunes. Like, oops, <laughs> iTunes doesn't exist anymore. So I think I'll just be saying that to find it wherever you get your podcast because that's pretty much how you can do. Yes. So, but uh, Brandon, thanks so much uh, for coming on, man. We look forward to having you back in uh, late October, early November to preview week nine between us and you. Sounds good, man. All right, Brandon Lee Gowden helping us preview the 2019 Philadelphia Eagles. Remember, guys, promo code ACAA for $20 off your first ticket purchase at SeatGeek. And promo code BEARS100 for your 50% deposit bonus at my bookie. want to thank Brandon Lee Gowton for helping us out. Uh, I always enjoy talking to uh, these guys. And, uh, you know, you guys hear me say that all the time. But I really do uh, enjoy uh, doing these episodes, even if it is a guy from the team that crushed our playoff dreams last season uh, and everything. Still was fun to talk to about Brandon, get his insight on the Eagles, where he thinks they're headed with and without uh, Carson Wentz and uh, Nick Foles and uh, just where, where he thinks the team uh, is headed and I believe it's it's a shared belief amongst many many people that the Eagles are a team to watch uh, this year probably the favorite in the NFC East I would wager if Carson Wentz could stay healthy so because they've got a lot on the offensive side with Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson on the other side Dallas Goddard and and uh, Ertz tight end they got Howard and Miles Sanders and you know, whoever else they can dig out of the backfield there and one of the more solid offensive lines in the NFC. So offensively, they are stacked. So um, I guess it will all come down to the defense uh, for them. That was very good down the stretch uh, for the Eagles, helped get them into the playoffs and, uh, you know, bottled up the Saints uh, fairly well, a team that that, uh, didn't have any trouble scoring points but uh, only was able to score 20 in a a winning effort against the Eagles uh, in that playoff game. But um, we'll see how the Eagles end up anxious to talk to him week nine, see where we are at the midpoint in the season. Uh, Where are the bears? Where are the Eagles? And uh, how important will this game be uh, down the line? So uh, we'll be talking to him, I think late October, early November to answer uh, those questions. So that will do it for part three of the NFC East preview East. I mean, I say first I said part three of our NFC West. Oh wait, whoops. I mean, NFC East preview. And then I said NFC West almost immediately after that. So, yeah, I do that. So, But it's the NFC East, I promise. That's where the Eagles play. So part three of the NFC East preview is now in the books. One team left, and that would be the defending champion Dallas Cowboys. Joe Rodriguez from Armchair All-American podcast 
the Cowboys huddle, will be joining us to help preview uh, these Cowboys and wrap up the NFC East before we move on to our own NFC North with our old friends Jeremy Reisman, Evan Western, Chris Gates, Lauren Cox to close the book on these 14 opponent preview shows and get ready for the 2019 regular season. So come on back on Friday with myself and Joe talking about the Cowboys wrapping up the NFC East. And until then, my name is Larry D and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.